Hi, my name is Monica Gleberman. I'm Victoria Dupuy. And you're listening to Silence Onset Podcast. In today's episode, we are speaking to some of the stars of the Hulu original series, Dope Sick, which just aired its eighth and final episode today. So stick around to hear from Will, Peter, and John. And as always, thank you for listening. I just wanted to start out um, with the obvious kind of first question, but what interested you in what was interesting to you guys in playing these characters? Because it goes over such a long period of time, you know, all, obviously from the 90s all the way to 2021 and showing the importance of this epidemic because I had no like I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was like this bad until I watched it. I will say that for me, it was being a part of co correcting a narrative. Um, I feel like uh, people from the Southeast and people from mountain communities are often maligned as people who are uh, predisposed to abusing opioids and, and popping pills. And we learn when we do our research for this project that that's something that was passed, that was created in the boardrooms and it was passed down from the highest levels. And we as a society have kind of imbibed that and taken that on board. So when you see people abusing pills or abusing Oxycontin, you see that as kind of a more moral failing. And getting to, uh, getting to be part of the story in general um, felt really good to sort of set that straight. I had a personal connection to the issue. I had a relative that suffered from this problem and certainly been around the family impact side of things. And um, so in 2016, Norman Lear and Shonda Rhimes were producing this documentary called America Divided for Epics. And I went and did it. And um, I had told them that the issue was issues to consider in the 2016 election. So I said, I really want to do something about opioids. And I didn't know hardly anything about it except for my personal connection. I went to Dayton, Ohio. They sent me there and they set up all these different points of view from the police to the prosecutors, to the users, to the families, everyone. And to be able to see it from all those points of view really gave me a kind of comfort. It's hard to understand, but like, I think knowledge creates comfort. You know that there aren't, there are all these other people that are suffering. There are all these other families that are dealing with someone who's going through this. And so when I heard about this show and that Warren was doing it, and I actually was working with Warren on something else at the time, working, setting up something else. And um, I said, I really want to be in that. And then when I heard, and I, I would have been in it to play anyone, you know? And then when I heard who I was playing and that I was going to be playing someone with the same amount of righteous indignation that I felt, right? This part really isn't character for me. This part is like the trial. And I get to be the prosecution. <laughs> and it's like my dream of what I would get to do. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. It was amazing. Yeah, the show really does show different, like different people and how they're affected by it. Not only the people who are taking Oxycontin themselves, but also the family members and doctors we should see within Samuel. So, Will, there's a scene, I think it's in episode five, where you visit him in rehab. And that's when I feel like you can really see the damage that Oxycontin can do to someone. So what was your thought process when you were reading this in the script for the first time? And what was it like working with Michael Keaton in that sense? Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, uh, I think 
um, like, like John and Peter outlined, you know, uh, initially just to be part of a project that felt like it had such a kind of uh, responsible social application was very, very, um, you know, enticing, uh, particularly when, as John said, the prevailing narrative around opioids and opioid abuse disorder kind of, um, as you said, maligns the, the, the victims. And uh, that, that, was, that was the first thing. Secondly, it was just brilliantly written. Um, and I thought it was uh, an incredibly well sort of textured and balanced look at the opioid crisis, which, as you said, you know, includes and must include um, a lot of different perspectives. Um, and then with regards to, you know, working with, with Michael, I mean, obviously, for someone like myself, you know, relatively inexperienced to work with kind of one of the most experienced and um, kind of, you know, talented people out there as closely as I did was a real dream come true. Um, and, you know, I think Billy's relationship to Phoenix was kind of key to that character's development over the course of the episodes. Episode five was one I was kind of looking forward to shooting because I think it does strike, you know, at the heartbreaking nature of what this drug can do to people, you know, um, opioids and, and Oxycontin uh, specifically, um, you know, when um, malprescribed and, and um, misused, uh, you know, it really can sort of rewire people's brains and uh, in quite a unique way, they become sort of entirely by controlled by their own neurochemistry. And so, as John said, it's not a question of people failing morally or as we too often see, you know, just looking for some kind of cheap thrill or something. Um, and so I think, yeah, aside from all the obvious kind of wonderful creative elements and the, the brilliant people involved, I think course correcting that narrative around the drug and its, its place in the world was, uh, was very important. I think you guys do a great job of that. Cause like I said, you know, I knew it was bad. I didn't know how bad it was until I watched it. I wanted to know for all three of you, I, I kind of have two kind of separate questions. So for Will, I wanted to know for you with Billy, when you, when you were playing him, what it felt like, because obviously first you're kind of like on board and then you start questioning it and then you're totally not on board. Right. And then like, ultimately those tapes show up and I was like, yes, like when I was watching, I was so excited. But for you as a character, like how you go through those motions of kind of making that make sense in your brain, right? Because you have to kind of find some sort of truth there uh, to play. And then obviously for Rick and Randy, they spend like their entire career, you know, lives dedicated to this. So why do you think they spent so much time um, and were so willing to not give up? Because they had so many obstacles and just never stopped. I think this was, you know, for, for Rick and Randy specifically, and these are two real uh, people, this uh, crisis landed right on their doorstep. It was very, very local to them. And um, their communities had been, uh, by and large, uh, altered for the worse by the opioid crisis. And they, they were energized by, by the desire to fix that. Um, at all costs and, and, you know, kind of angered by the fact that all previous attempts had failed utterly because money, you know, these guys were operating out of a strip mall in a small town in southwestern Virginia, and the odds that they were up against were seemingly insurmountable. We keep using the term David and Goliath. That's, that perfectly encapsulates what the terms were. It's nice to play a superhero for once. I've been Place for a while, and <laughs> I see all these good ones come and go. You're like, oh, I'd love to have been, you know, 
Captain America. <laughs> but this was my shot. You see, it's a cool opportunity to show uh, certain leaders of the government that are working appropriately, that are doing the right thing and fighting the good fight. Yeah, um, right. And it's balanced by individuals in other parts of the government who are trying to do the good thing, but just are coming up against brick walls. Yeah. And they sacrifice a lot to, to do it. It's like, you know, I don't mean to say that they're like, you know, I think of like the average good superhero is a fairly bland character on some level to me because they don't investigate their faults or their shortcomings. But, you know, each one of these guys has things that gets in his way in terms of doing this and sacrifices a great deal personally to be able to do this, um, you know, and uh, that was also something that in the end, I really grabbed onto as an actor, you know, you don't like want to be playing an issue. And I, I really knew it was not going to be like that because we had Danny and he has such a track record of excellent work and even talking to him about it beforehand. I could really feel the person that he was creating and the relationship between these two guys. I love your journey, man. I love like from where you yeah. start to where you get to. So much great stuff to yeah. I I I was in, in love with that arc as well. And I really love where it ends up. You know, again, I have to be careful, spoiler territory, but you know, um, there is a crossing of paths, you know, between sort of your world and, and my world eventually. And um, it's one of my favorite bits, you know what I mean? Uh, really, it was like one of my favorite things I've ever filmed. I think I said that to yeah, you, yeah. I, really, I really meant Even that. on the day, I think we all were like, it felt like, and that's, right. that's where it lies. Yeah, that, and that had to happen. Well, as a viewer, like not to interrupt you guys, but literally I like yelled. <laughs> like I was like, yes, like, thank God. Like, thank God. Cause like, you know, you go on this journey with you guys and in a way you are heroes because a lot of times heroes are the people we don't know, right? That are fighting for us. And, you know, we see, you know, and, you know, we can cut out this part and put in an after the episode airs, but we see the results of your hard work. So what you're saying is true, you know? But like, Will, you're, the arc, I mean, it's so incredible. Cause if you watch like the first episode and just like pair it to the last one, it's like two different people, how far you come. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think, you know, while, you know, in Rick and Randy, these guys represented real heroes and, and, you know, Bridget Meyer played by Rosario Dawson, very much a heroine. It's like, it was interesting to play someone who kind of, you know, if you're being kind of crude about it, sort of one of the villains, if you like, but more importantly, and I think this goes for just about every character in the show and, and the way that Danny approached it and indeed the way it was directed is everyone was humanized in the process. Oh, yeah, and I think the importance of that can't be overstated because when we talk about systemic issues or well, often the headlines the stats and just the sort of terminology and the language around that means that we fail to sometimes see it as a, a human-led issue i mean human decisions led to this point right and it was the choices that were made by human beings that kind of birthed the opioid crisis so the fact that the uh, the fact that the, the show doesn't shy away from that and in fact kind of really leans into it with just about every character is so important so that we get a better understanding of kind of how we got here. Because I think even if we if we don't humanize the villains, well then the villains kind of get a, get away with it to a degree, you know? I think they, they need to be put under that kind of microscope and analyzed in the kind of like um, sort of, you know, in, in an equally detailed kind of psychological way. 
it's so much more interesting too, uh, from a storytelling standpoint, when you don't really see the villains coming. Right, right. <laughs> when they sneak up on you, and and that uh, you can't judge a book by its cover, and that's mm. that's a big point for all of the people depicted in the show who suffer from addiction. Yeah. I think we always want to have it in our mind that the people we see on the knot on the train, we know what their life story is, and we don't. We just don't. Mm. And that's one thing that's so important about the about the project is we're trying to also build an empathy for people who are dealing with these addictions. You're right. It, the show really does humanize everyone that's involved. And I feel like one of the characters that resonates with audiences, or at least with me while I was watching the show was Betsy. And I'll put a spoiler alert for the end of episode seven, which is now out. But unfortunately, Betsy does pass away in the episode. And I feel like that is such a major, major loss that's going to have an effect on the finale. So I was wondering um, what your thoughts were on the ending or if there's anything you can share and what you thought when you were first reading the script. I, I keep going back to something that Will said, which is, you know, these drugs, opioids, which are essentially opium that's been synthesized in a lab and then sold to people for even mid-level pain. Um, when this drug gets into your brain, it rewires it so that the drug, the brain doesn't think it's working properly unless the drug is present. That's huge. And so when you take that drug away from someone and you put them in a treatment center that really was designed to treat alcohol addiction, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, I keep having this conversation with my son who's 12 because he loved Betsy's character and he just doesn't understand how she could relapse. And of course she's, uh, since we're talking about spoiler alerts, she's found out that uh, a relationship that she was deeply invested in has gone away and that it'll never come back. And this triggers her. This triggers her and makes her relapse. She's going back into treatment. And so she wants one last hit. Um, this, is, this is so typical of people who suffer from opioid addiction, this kind of recidivism. And that's why uh, when we're talking about these and when we're looking at treatments that actually work, um, Betsy is in a situation where she's trying to pray the addiction away and it just uh, it just comes up short. It something. reminds me of um, when I did that documentary in Dayton, I went to the jail and they had a wing of the jail that was all young women. And it was like kind of a big room with bunks all around the top part and around the bottom. And there must have been really not exaggerating 150 young girls that all looked actually quite similar similar backgrounds and it was like it had hit that community and all of them had been there multiple times and so what they would do is they would keep them there for 30 days and then put them back out on the street after 30 days and at that time they're 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 clean right but of course uh barely over the fiscal part and all of them would then go out and score and that was the moment when many of them would die because they're, they, they didn't know not to take that much. You know, they were used to their old dosage. They were used to their old thing. It was the first hit coming out. And, you know, we really have to think long and hard about how really to treat all of this because it's not a simple, well, I don't think anyone thinks it's simple. It's just not simple. Yeah, and, you know, when you look up kind of the family, and look up, you know, the case and things that have happened. I'm sure this is kind of a 
a stupid question to ask, but are you angry at the fact that this family didn't really take as much of a hit? Like I kind of joke, like we threw them out of New York because like people were so upset here, but that they didn't take as much of a hit, I think, as they should have because they had filed bankruptcy, but they were still protected themselves. Like, you know, and again, like, you know, like I said, we'll hold this till after the last episode, but like, it's so upsetting to me, like to read that. And I think you guys are showing a point too, that to even get a court case was so hard to even catch these guys were so difficult that it spanned literally almost a present day. And then they still kind of squeezed out of it and weren't held individually accountable. It's absolutely infuriating. But, you know, Rick and Randy still feel like what they walked away with was a win. Um, because within the context of the situation that they're fighting in, they got more than anybody else before them had been able to get. Um, and, I, you know, I'm absolutely infuriated to encounter human greed in that film. But I also realized that this family did everything they could to make all the money they could within the context of a situation which was kind of set up to allow them to do that. That's why, you know, this will continue happening until the laws change. Yeah, because also, you know, this recent judgment in Oklahoma, you know, so basically the way that they're trying to go at the pharmaceutical companies responsible for these drugs is frequently there's something called public nuisance laws. Isn't that kind of a tidy way of saying it? And um, they've just, a judgment just came down that they can't, that that's not going to work. And so to the ways in which the prosecution has to bend over backwards to find the angle to try to take them down, because in this country, we really do protect big business, you know, and their liability. We're more about the money than we are about the lives. We have to acknowledge that. So that's the source of the problem. Yeah, it's kind of like the question is like, were you angered that that tiger did what tigers do? <laughs> you know, it's like that tiger's always going to do that thing until we come up with better laws. And yeah. When these, when our elected representatives are allowed to be on the take from these big corporations, then our interests are not first and foremost. Sure. And even the idea that, you know, drug companies are making drugs to make money. They're not making drugs as a public service. It might seem like that sometimes, but that is not what they're doing. So that tiger, it is a true tiger, needs to be like really closely watched. Yeah, like the we keep saying like the FDA cannot have a convivial relationship with pharmaceutical companies. It has to be adversarial. Yeah. We have to assume that these people who are trying to make money, that is their stated goal, you know, the care of the person is secondary to that. Yeah. They want to make drugs that work in their own way, you know, cure diseases. There's plenty of great drugs out there that do various things to extend our lives, but um, they want to do it at a profit for sure. Well, I have to, I mean, I'm getting told to wrap up. I could talk to you guys all day, but I just want to say, you know, watching the show really kind of altered some of my thinking informed me of some things that I did not know. Um, made me feel good if that makes any sense um by watching it and understanding it more and the three of you i think are literally at your best i mean i've watched a, a lot of you guys in a lot of stuff and this show is just 
I just think it's one of the best shows and one of the best limited series that I've seen in a very long time. So I, I want to agree. thank you guys. Yes, I have to so agree. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, so good. So thank you guys for taking time out to speak with us. And, and have you guys a great rest of the day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.